Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Now, if you'll take your Bible and turn to James chapter 1, uh, James is uh, where we're going to be today. We've been in this series in the book of James for a few weeks, uh, and James has been very interested in pressing the truth of God's word deep into every part of our lives, okay? He's, he's calling us to a true and living faith get that, that gets expressed in the way we live, and he has not been unclear, okay? One of the, one of the problems you will never have with James is wondering what he's saying, all right? He's been very clear and, and not hard to understand. Well, today's going to be no different. James is going to be calling us to a true and living faith. And we're going to see what we are called to, and we're going to see that our only hope to see it done is the power and promise of Jesus. So I'm going to read James 1, verses 19 through 27. Then I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into what God's Word says for us today. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and, remove, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege of listening to it today and hearing from your word. And Lord, we want to hear from your word, not my words. We want to hear from your word. And so would you keep my words riveted closely to yours? Um, Holy Spirit, you know every heart, every story reflected in, the, in this room. You know every, every need, every concern that was brought in here today. And so, Lord, we ask uh, that you would speak into every heart. You're able to. You're able to, you're able to speak in a way that I never could. So, Holy Spirit, would you, would you preach a better sermon than I've prepared today? Would you preach directly to the hearts of these people in a way that you're able to? And Father, we, we, long, we long to see Jesus. We long to know more of him and to be transformed more and more into his image so that we express our faith in our lives. So Lord, would you help us today? Uh, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, uh, before we jump in, I want you to notice that in verse 19, James is talking to Christians. Okay, He says in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers. Now, that word brothers can be translated brothers or si brothers and sisters. So he's talking to the family of God. He's talking to those in verse 18 who have been brought forth by the word of truth. 
So God, in, in his goodness, through the announcement of the gospel, that this, this glorious news that though we have sinned against God, God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to live a perfect life and die a death in our place so that we could be forgiven of sin, filled with the Spirit of God, and then set free to live like Jesus in the world. This word of truth has brought us forth, and he's calling us as Christians to something. Notice, he says, know this, my beloved family, let every person, so anyone who is a follower of Jesus, all of us who are followers of Jesus, we are called to obey this passage. None of us get an out. We don't, we don't get a hall pass on this passage today. Let every person. And what James is concerned about is that we express our faith through our conversations, our conduct, and our care. Now, it's very important for us to understand. This is, these are ways we express our faith not ways we earn God's favor, okay? Our following these commands are ways we express our faith. They are not ways we earn God's character, okay? That's really, really important. So James is concerned with this call to a true and living faith in our conversations, our conduct, and our character. Let's start with conversations in verse 19. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, James seems to be speaking into conversations that people are having that result in anger. Now, you know these kinds of conversation. There's disagreement, okay? Sometimes two people just see things differently. They understand one another fully. They understand what each other is saying. They see things differently. And they, they just disagree, and that results in anger, particularly in our world today. One of the challenges in our world is we're so polarized that if anyone says anything that sounds move in the other direction, we just, we just automatically slam them to the pole of the, uh, of the idea instead of really understanding, hey, there's nuanced argument around all of these things that we can talk about. But sometimes disagreement results in anger. Another kind of conversation that can result in anger is misunderstanding. One person says something and they intend it in a certain way. We hear it and we perceive it in a certain way and we fill the distance between intent and perception with mistrust, which leads to anger. We, we intend something one way, it's perceived another way, and the distance is filled with mistrust, and that leads to anger. Now, that happens in relationships, in marriage, in parenting, in political discourse. It happens all the time. And so since we're involved in these kind of conversations, James wants us to express our true and living faith in how we talk to one another in our conversations. And he gives us three commands to help us with this. First, he says, be quick to hear. This word here means to listen. It means to really listen, to listen to understand. It means to listen to know and feel and connect with this person. It means to be quick to hear, to really listen. And most of us are horrible at this. We're horrible at really listening. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. One of those is that hearing is not the same as listening. <laughs> um, 
signals bouncing off our eardrum is not the same as listening to one another, okay? You know that we can hear people without hearing people. Another problem is we use the same words but mean different things. One person says red, this person hears red, and the red they hear is not the red they said, okay? We use the same language, and sometimes we, uh, we just don't hear one another. Another problem is we can be physically present and mentally absent. You know, you, you've had a long day at work. You're trying to solve a problem. You don't get it solved. You think about it all the way home. You get home. You're sitting at the dinner table, and you're still spinning that problem around instead of really engaging with the people around you. Uh, or we can be distracted on our phone. You know, you're sitting next to people who are valuable to you, and you're, <laughs> you're just messing around on things that don't matter. Uh, we can be physically present and mentally absent. Uh, so many times we're driving down the road, and Cheryl and I are talking, and my mind gets on some lane of thought, and I'm just kind of, you know, watching trees pass, and she's talking to me, and, and she'll ask me a question, and I'll say, sweetie, I honestly have no idea what we were talking about. And, and that's disrespectful. I don't mean to be disrespectful. It's just that I got distracted with something else and forgot to pay attention. So there's all kinds of ways this is hard. Another one is we often listen to respond rather than relate. We listen just long enough to know how to tell a story about ourselves instead of really listening to what the person is saying. And now we haven't even gotten to the sinful options yet, okay? These are all just normal options of how we struggle to listen. We haven't gotten to, sometimes we don't want to listen. We just don't want to. So James calls every follower of Jesus to be quick to hear. Second thing, he calls us to be slow to speak. I remember growing up hearing, God gave you two ears and one mouth. That means you ought to listen twice as long as you talk. I think that's what James is getting at here. Quick to listen, slow to speak. It means we listen longer than we think. We listen longer than we think we should. It means we assume that we don't understand, particularly when we disagree with someone. We need to assume, hey, maybe I didn't quite understand you. This is what I heard you say. Is that what you meant to say? And we ask clarifying questions. We resist the temptation to jump to conclusions. We are quick to listen. We're slow to speak. And when we do speak, we remember that our words have incredible power. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So when we do speak, after we've been quick, to, we've, we've listened longer, we're slow to speak. When we do speak, we realize that our words have Power. James is going to spend a whole chapter, James chapter 3, on the power of the tongue. So plan your vacations accordingly, all right? <laughs> Just plan to be out that week. We talk about it. James is saying, look, the way you use your mouth reflects what's going on in your heart. Look at verse 26. He gets real serious about it. Look at verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious, in other words, if anyone thinks he's a Christian, if anyone thinks he's saved and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James is saying, look, if you don't learn to be slow to speak, if your mouth is a continuing, ongoing problem, you need to be asking some serious questions about your heart. That's what he's saying. Okay? Okay. So we're to be quick to listen, we're to be slow to speak, and then we're to be slow to become angry. 
Now, James warns us about emotional reactions we can have in conversations when we disagree. And he says, you need to be slow to anger. We need to have a long, we need to be long suffering. We need to have a long fuse with one another. We need to have a grandparent fuse. Okay. Grandparents have a long fuse. They have a fuse and it'll go off, but it's longer than parents usually. Okay. We need to have a long fuse. We need to have, we need to be slow to anger. God himself is slow to anger, but abounding in steadfast love. We need to be slow to anger. Notice he doesn't say we don't get angry. He just says we're slow to it. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry, but don't sin. The things that make God angry should make us angry. He just says, be slow to it. Don't be quick to anger. Now, in addition to the command, he gives us a, a, a reason. He doesn't give it to us for hearing and speaking, but he does for anger. In verse 20, he says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I have to repeat myself, repeat that to myself over and over all the time. The anger of man is not going to produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't do it in myself. When I get angry at me for failing and falling short of God's glory, the anger of man does not produce righteousness in me. It doesn't produce righteousness in others. It doesn't produce righteousness in the world. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so James tells us to be slow to anger. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, one of the areas in our world right now where we need to apply these verses is around conversation, is in conversations around the issue of racial reconciliation. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That means that we, and I'm speaking particularly to, to white people, we need to be quick to listen. We need to listen longer than we think to what others are experiencing. We need to listen. We need to learn. We need to hear. And then when we, when we have listened longer than we think, we need to be slow to speak. Perhaps that would be starting with empathy, saying something like, you know, I didn't know that was your experience. I, I, I never knew that was your experience. I'm so sorry that's happened to you, or I'm so sorry that you, you have, have experienced that. And then maybe we can ask clarifying questions like, is this what you're saying? Because I hear you saying this, I'm not sure. And then if you disagree, you're slow to speak and you're slow to become angry and you disagree like family. We, we are the family of God. He says, know this, brothers and sisters, we are the family of God, united under Jesus. We're not united by anything other than Jesus. And so as we interact with one another, we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, uh, uh, against that tendency that some of us have to be to listen uh, too, too uh, short, to not listen long enough, there's this ideology in the world that says we can't speak at all. There's an ideology that would say that because of the historic privilege or power of white people, that our only option is to listen and learn. And any attempt to speak at all, particularly if we disagree, is an expression of power and privilege. And this concept has been made popular by a book called White Fragility. And it's rooted in critical theory and intersectionality. Now, I know there were some headlines this week about President Trump and CRT, critical race theory. We have been planning to cover this since July. Okay, so this is not a reaction to anything he said, uh, anything he did or didn't say this week. 
Critical race theory is an unbiblical worldview that is honestly a little difficult to express simply. At its foundation, it sees relationships through the lens of power dynamics. It puts everyone in one of two classes, either oppressed, oppressor, or oppressed. And those who are oppressors have power, and those who are oppressed suffer for it. It would suggest that only those who are oppressed can access truth, because those who are oppressors uh, don't have the framework for that. It offers a type of salvation Uh, But salvation is liberation through deconstruction and revolution. Ironically, that's achieved by power. So in the framework of CRT and intersectionality, white people are seen as those who have power and therefore privilege and should remain quiet and learn. And our tendency to speak is simply showing that we want to oppress. Now, white fragility is a great debate tool to set up the debate such that if you disagree, you're showing that you're part of the problem. That's a great debate tool. It's not great at reconciliation. So somewhere between listening, not listening long enough and not being able to speak is what James calls us to as the family of God. To be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because we're family. So James is very, very concerned with how a true living faith gets expressed in our conversation. Next, he calls us to true living faith in our conduct. Look at verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So James is calling us to two things here. He's calling us to hear the word and do the word. Not not either or, but both and. We are to hear the word And do the word. And he warns us that if we just hear and don't do, he says we're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. And he he describes a man that we might be like in verse 23. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So it's the person leaving the house and they take one last look in the mirror and they see maybe their buttons are out out of place or maybe they forgot to comb their hair, uh, forgot to comb their hair. And then they look at that, they see it and they think, huh? And they leave and don't change anything. That's what he's talking about here. And he calls us to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. And James wants us to understand our conduct matters. How we live our life matters. It does not earn any of God's favor, but it is an expression of our faith. And so our conduct matters to God. Now, how many times, how many times do we read God's word and we see, man, yeah, I need to follow this word. I need to do what this word's saying. We close our Bible and go about our life as if we didn't read anything. Or how, how many times do you hear somebody teach or preach from God's word? And by the time you get to the parking lot, you've forgotten. James would say, we need to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. Our conduct matters. James would say, if on the regular, listen, all of us struggle, all of us, you know, we we walk in times where we are, you know, less, perhaps less, less sensitive to God and his word, but if on the regular, if it is a lifestyle for you to hear and not do God's word, James says you're deceiving yourself. What he means by that is 
Whatever kind of faith you have, he's going to say in chapter 2, is not a saving faith. If you hear and don't do God's word, he's going to say, look, that kind of faith does not save. Because saving faith results in life change. Please hear me. Life change does not save, but saving faith creates life change. We are to be hearers and doers of God's word. Our conduct matters. It does not earn God's favor, but it expresses our faith. This is important. James wants us to express true and living faith in our conversations, in our conduct, and finally in our care. In our care. Look at verse 27. James says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That keeping oneself unstained from the world is connected to our conduct. We kind of talked about that a little bit already. Let's talk about this uh, visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. James is going to say that our care is an expression of true and living faith. And he calls it pure and undefiled religion. Now, we use the word religion in a negative way. We say that person's religious and we think they're uptight and sometimes they are. Uh, we use religion as a, as a system where we check boxes to earn God's favor and sometimes it is. Here, James is using the word in a very positive way. He's using it to talk about how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. And he's talking specifically about how we care for those who can't care for themselves. And he's talking about orphans and widows and their affliction. And in this day, there were no social services. It was on the church to step in and step up to serve them. And I just want to celebrate a few things for a moment. How our church has stepped in and stepped up in ways over the last few months to serve our community whether that was at Mercy Place or whether that was um, at North Belmont Elementary or Gastonia Street Ministry or least of these Carolinas. There's all kinds of ways that our church has stepped in, Meals on Wheels stepped in and stepped up to serve our community. This is an expression of our faith. It doesn't earn any of God's favor, but it is an expression of our faith. And James calls it pure religion when we care for those who cannot care for themselves. And if you would like to be a part of that, we have opportunities uh, you can come to the Connect 10 outside. I'd love to talk with you and connect you to the right people so that you can know how to serve. It's an opportunity to, to express our faith toward, toward those who can't serve themselves. And so James calls us to true and living faith expressed in our conversation, in our conduct, and in our care. And so the question for us today is, how will we respond? How will we respond? That's the question for us. James, James wants us to understand this call gets expressed, this call to true and living faith gets expressed in our conversation, conduct, and care. And he's told us that if we are hearers of this word and not doers of this word, we are deceiving ourselves. In other words, if our faith doesn't affect our conversations, conduct, and care, James is saying we need to ask if we have true and living faith or not. not he's not suggesting you lost something. He's suggesting maybe you didn't have something. So he's saying we might be deceiving ourselves. So how do we respond? Well, one option is you could actively reject what you've heard. You could say, look, I don't care about my conversations. I'm a tell-it-like-it-is guy. People can like it or not. I don't care about my conduct. I'm going to do what I want. I don't care about all those people. They can fend for themselves. We could actively reject 
God's word. I doubt any of us would do that in this environment. We're far too self-righteous for that. Okay? We, 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 would, not, we would not say that this way in, in this environment. Sometimes, though, rather than actively rejecting, we passively reject God's word. We listen. We're hearers. <laughs> we're hearers. And we hear it, like, and even amen it and, and approve it. And then from here to the parking lot, something happens. And we passively reject what God's word is calling us to. And James would say, if we do that, we're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. Another option would be, uh, you know, rather than rejecting it actively or passively, we could respond by getting religious in the negative sense. We could say, okay, okay, I got to do this. What all do I need to do? Give me the list. Give me the things I do. Then give me the things I don't do. I'll check all those off and I'll be okay. Well, that's, James would say that kind of faith is worthless too. That's not true in living faith. That's man-made religion. And so James would not call us to reject God's word. He would not call us to some rigid check, uh, box checking either. He calls us to something that's really good news in the passage. Look at verse 21. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The way James wants us to respond is not to reject God's word. It's not to, you know, to to some sort of religious box checking. He calls us first to repent. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. The first step in repentance is saying is confession. It's saying, look, there's, there's filthiness in me, and I don't know how deep it goes. There's wickedness in me, and it's rampant. The first step of repentance is confession. The first step of our response to God and his word needs to be our repentance. And listen, repentance is not a one-time act where you check that box and then go on. Martin Luther, in his 95 theses that he nailed to the door at Wittenberg, his first one was this, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This, this ongoing awareness and confession of sin, this ongoing awareness and confession that I'm not like Jesus, this ongoing awareness and confession of my need for his grace. That's the first step in our response to his word. The second step is to receive. Verse 21. He says, and receive with meekness. That word means humility. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, this implanted word idea, James is is, uh, kind of calling back to the Old Testament where Jeremiah and Ezekiel talked about the new covenant that Jesus would bring. And God said, I'm gonna take out your heart of stone. God's saying to his people, I'm gonna take out your heart of stone. I'm gonna put in a heart of flesh and I'm gonna put my spirit in you and I'm gonna write my law on your heart. So when James is talking about the implanted word, he's talking about God's act of redeeming his people. And this act saves our soul and it's bigger than forgiving our sin, which it does, which is great news because we stink at listening. We stink at speaking. We get angry all the time. We don't do God's word. So we need the reality that we can be forgiven of sin, but it's bigger than that. We're forgiven of sin. Then we're filled with the spirit of God that enables us to be set free to live like Jesus. And so James is saying, repent of sin, 
receive the implanted word, the spirit of God in your life, writing God's word on your heart, which is able to save your soul. And just like repentance is an ongoing reality, this salvation is a progressive ongoing reality too. Now there is a a point where you trust Christ as Lord and Savior, but there's this reality that it's an ongoing development and progressive work of sanctification in our life that where we're growing and being more and more like the image of Jesus. And so we repent, we receive, and then finally we remain. Look at verse 25. Contrasted against the one who looks in the mirror and forgets is verse 25, the one who looks and remains. Look at verse 25. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's, that's the word of God's gospel, the word of truth in verse 18, the word that's implanted in verse 21. The one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, if you've stood in front of a mirror, that mirror has never changed you at all. It just shows you what needs to be changed. But when we stare at the law of liberty, something happens. We see, we see Jesus when we look at God's word. And when we look at Jesus and when we see him and when we see what he's like, something happens. The, the spirit of God interacts with the word of God and we're transformed into the image of Jesus. And that's what it means when he says, uh, the one to the one who perseveres, he will be blessed in his doing. That as we look at the law of liberty, as we hear and do, we are made more and more like Jesus over time. And so as we think of this call to true and living faith that's to be displayed in our conversation, our conduct, and our care, our only hope for this is to repent, receive, and remain in God's word. That's our only hope. And my prayer, my prayer for us is that we would do this together because we're called. We're called to everything in this passage. Let every person, no one who names the name of Jesus, no, no Christian is exempted from this passage. And our only hope to see it done is the power of Jesus in our lives. So let's pray to that end today. Father God, thank you for your, your goodness to us, your kindness to us. Thank you so much for just your work of grace to save our souls, that you took out our heart of stone and you gave us a heart of flesh and you put your spirit in us. You wrote your word on our hearts so that we might obey and follow everything you've called us to do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would protect us from being hearers only. Make us doers of your word. Make us people who repent of sin, who, who acknowledge all filthiness and rampant wickedness in our hearts, that we, we don't know how bad we are, Lord. We don't know. The, the heart is deceitfully wicked. We, we don't know how deep our sin goes, and yet your implanted word can change us. And Lord, we get to look at your law of liberty, your word, your gospel, that makes us more and more like Jesus. So Lord, would you, would you give us grace for that? We need it. We need it. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to angry. We need to care well for people in trouble. And the only hope for that is the power of your spirit. So we ask for it. We need it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.